good job, Aaron. That was a bit of a mouthful. Can everybody give Aaron a round of applause? I don't even think he stumbled. Goodness gracious, hold on, Aaron. That is the word of the Lord. So glad that y'all could join us this morning. My name is Dylan, and I'm on staff with Mercy Hill. My specific role is actually Salt Company. Does anybody, does anybody know what Salt Company is? Yeah, come on. Who's a college student in here? That's right, Get, raise them high, raise them high. I love it. So glad that y'all could join us. Salt Company is Mercy Hills College Ministry. We're taking it a little bit chill this summertime, but we have campus groups every Monday. It's part of our summer salt. Not, no gymnastics, but somersault, a uh, little bit of program that we got going on. And yeah, if you guys are interested in getting connected with Salt Company, if you're a college student, Xavier, UC, doesn't matter. We'd love for you all to get connected. You can scan that QR code or talk to another college student in here. And we will be launching in just like a little over a month once the fall semester. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. So very much looking forward to that. Very glad that I can bring the word of God this morning. Yes, this is a chunky passage, but it has absolutely incredible implications. So I want to first tell a story about the first time I had the chance to bring the word of the Lord, give a test, uh, give a sermon at Salt Company about two years ago. And y'all, I had just moved here. I hadn't taught too often, so I was a little nervous. And when you're nervous, you kind of do crazy things. And so the day of the sermon, I woke up and I just was freaking out because I looked at myself in the mirror and I just said, oh my gosh, I have got to get a haircut. I look, I look terrible. I have to go get a haircut. Now, whenever you move to a new place, I didn't have a barber or anything. So I did what every normal person would do. I just stumbled into the first barber shop that could take me, right? That's what you do. So I stumbled in there. I didn't know if it was gonna be good, it was gonna be bad, but I just said, I'm gonna risk it. You know, One of my friends told me the, the biggest difference between a good haircut and a bad haircut is about a week and a half, right? Because it kind of evens out. So hopefully that would be the case. I got a decent haircut, I think I, think I did, but the interesting thing comes when I was talking to my barber. So you, know, you get to talk, chopping it up a little bit, and when you work on staff for a church, whenever they ask you, oh, what do you do? Obviously, I know that he's a barber, so I have to say what my role is. And when, when you're on staff with a church, two things happen. One is you tell them that you work for a church and they go like, oh, okay. And then it's silent for the rest of the time you're cutting hair. And that's, that's okay, it's not great. But um, I, you know, I told them I'd moved here to be a part of Mercy Hill. It's a local church, salt company, the whole spiel. You know, I'm sure some of y'all have given that as well. And he was very excited about it. So I thought, oh, great, you know, this guy, this guy likes me, you know, we're hitting it off. And he said, yeah, it's cool because, actually, I'm a Muslim, and it's cool because Christians and Muslims, actually, deep down, they kind of just believe the same things. I mean, we worship the same God, right? And I was like, uh-oh, I don't know much about Islamic faith, but I don't know if this is extremely accurate. Actually, I know it's not accurate, right? But I gotta admit, I didn't do a great job, so I ended up just going, okay, let me just tell the guy who Jesus is. So I shared who Jesus was, that he is the son of God that came down to earth to live a perfect life that you and I could not live because of our disobedience, because of our sin. And although we were deserving of eternal punishment, Jesus took that penalty for us. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, we could have life. I was like, I did it. Thank you, Maggie. And I was like, yes, I wish you were there at the barbershop with me. <laughs> and he went, dude, yes, that's awesome. I know all about Jesus too. And I was like, really? All right. And he said, yes, in, in the Islamic faith, we, we actually 
believe that Jesus is real, that he's actually one of the greatest prophets, that he did incredible miracles, that he, that he said incredible things. But you know what he never said? He never said that he was God. And I, I have to be honest, that was kind of where I ended the conversation. I didn't push further and, and say, hey man, no, Jesus is God. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a, a good teacher, right? If we take out the fact that he is God, he would be absolutely insane, right? We can't take all the good things that he said and leave out that tiny little fact that he claimed divinity, right? But in this passage, that's what we're going to. Jesus is responding to a group of religious leaders who have just seen him heal a paralyzed man that has been paralyzed for over 38 years, y'all. They have seen this happen, but they're not excited about it. They're not impressed with it. Actually, they're angry. They're more angry because they are blind in their religiosity that they care more that the man picked up his mat on Sabbath day, a day where you're not supposed to do work, than the fact that he has been healed. And they are not falling down on their face like they should be going, oh my gosh, <laughs> you must be God. They're actually saying that this must be blasphemy because he is claiming divinity. And you know what they call for blasphemy? They call death to the one that says that he is God. So this is the context that Jesus is in. And he is responding to these group of people, these Jewish leaders, that because of their culture, their training, and their knowledge, they think they know who God is. But Jesus is going to give a painful description of who these men truly are, and then an extremely compelling explanation of who he truly is. Because Mercy Hill, the only way to truly know and love God is to truly know and love Jesus. People from all over the world think they know God, have read about him, have heard about him, have heard or, or read about the great things that he's done. But if you don't claim Jesus is God, then you do not know God. So let's read in Luke, <laughs> John, sorry. Let's read in John chapter five, starting in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. The first thing we read about is that Jesus is giving a relationship to the Father who is in heaven. That we have a father and son relationship going on. And it's important to note that Jesus is not claiming independence from the Father, but instead that he has been given authority from God of the universe, the creator, God in heaven. And a lot of these people that would be listening, they would understand the kind of parallels that he's giving. Because he's giving a relationship between like, a father who owns like maybe a, a carpenter shop or somebody that's a shipbuilder, right? And then the son that is learning the trade under him. And I think a lot of us can actually connect with this as well. When I was growing up, my sister and I, every Saturday morning, we'd wake up and we'd do yard work and we'd um, clean up the garage or we'd work on the cars or we'd build the fences or whatever. And when we were four or five years old, my dad wouldn't just hand us the lawnmower and be like, all right, go, go out and do it, right? No, we had to learn under him. But as we got older, he began to give us more and more authority to where then he could just tell me, all right, go cut the grass. Okay, hey, you need to put these fence boards back up, right? 
He just told me what to do and I had his authority to do it. But I never once said, woke up one morning and go, oh, I'm just gonna like install a pool in the driveway, okay? I'm sure Tim Lopez thought about that, right? He loves pools. But yeah, not only would that be absolutely ridiculous, but that wouldn't be what my father wanted me to do. So Jesus is saying, I can only do things with the authority of my father, and we are like this. It is a lockstep relationship. Now, why would, the, God, why would God the father show the son all that he is doing? Well, why would a loving father or mother show their children what they were doing? Because they love their children. God the father loves the son, and the more you love someone, the more you disclose things to, right? There's vulnerability, there's openness, there's trust, and there's safety in sharing all of these secrets. And God the Father and God the Son are doing these things in perfect harmony. So, but what things are they doing? What do they have the power to do? Let's read in verse 21. Jesus says, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Now, the Jewish leaders, like I said, they've already seen these incredible miracles that Jesus has done. Already we've read that he has turned water into wine. He has healed a synagogue leader's daughter from like the clutches of death. And now he just healed a paralyzed man. But this claim is different than all those other claims, right? He's not just claiming to do a healing, which is incredible. He is saying that just as the father raises the dead and gives life, so also the son gives life. He is claiming more and more his divinity, that he has the power to raise the dead. Read with me verse 22. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son, just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. This is a strong statement, and we're gonna hear a lot of strong statements from Jesus in this passage. But this is not only a strong statement, this is a completely new theology for these Jewish leaders because up until this point, they believed that only God the Father was the good and perfect judge. So by Jesus claiming that he is the judge, he's saying that you now have to treat me the same way that you treat God the Father. That is a bold claim. Now for me personally, growing up and even sometimes now, Whenever I look at the Bible, sometimes I break it up into two different things. I break it up into the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what I mean by that is I break up the Old Testament as like the God of the Old Testament, a little bit harsher, a little bit more judging and cold. And then we go over to the New Testament, which all of us like to read because first off, it's a lot easier to read. And then you have Jesus who's gentle and warm. You know, he's got his friends with him. He's, he's, he's caring for his flock, right? All these words, they, they seem like, no, 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 Jesus wouldn't be the judging one, but no, <laughs> Jesus is the judge. That's what he's claiming. I also wanna know that there's no God of the Old Testament and New Testament. God is the same yesterday and today and forever. And Jesus is claiming that for himself. Now, I wanna go back to that idea of this very popular notion that Jesus never actually claimed to be God. Have any of y'all ever heard that before? Whether it be on social media, your friends, or people you've talked to that say, oh, you know, Jesus never actually claimed to be God. Believe it or not, a lot of people think that. Um, Again, like I said earlier, you you can't say that Jesus was a great teacher or healer or prophet and not 
proclaim his divinity. Because as we keep going deeper and deeper, he's gonna be saying more and more about who he is. And to kind of draw an inference to this, for those of y'all that went to like the Taylor Swift concert, right? Like how awesome that was. I was, that's pretty exciting. It brought like $120 million to Cincinnati. So hopefully they can use some of that money to like fill in some potholes or something. Um, but think about at the very end of the concert, for those of all that went, the lights, the camera, the action, all of it, the, the stunts and the music was so incredible. And then at the very end of the, conference, uh, the concert, she goes, guys, I'm so glad that y'all joined us. Before we leave, before y'all leave tonight, I just want y'all to know that I am God. Oh my gosh. Wouldn't that be crazy? Wouldn't that be absolutely crazy if Taylor Swift just claimed divinity? Just right there, just mic drop moment. That would be like a record scratch, right? Like, wait a second. Nobody would care at all what she just sang about for three and a half hours. If she claimed divinity, that's all anybody would talk about, right? So again, to go back as a little break, we can't just say that Jesus was a good teacher or a healer. If he claimed divinity, that has to be the focus, right? Are we tracking? Okay, thank you, Maggie. So glad you're here. So Jesus is claiming divinity. He is claiming that he is the judge, but he's also claiming that he is the savior. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, this is a remarkable statement. Because again, think about the context. These Jewish leaders, they want to kill him. They want to end his life, but he is giving the purpose of his mission. He is explaining to these people that hate him how they can have a new life and can be saved through him. The ones that were trying to end his life, he's trying to give them life. And y'all, this is all of our stories. Through our disobedience to God, from Adam to Eve to all of us in this room, we have disobeyed. The one that was the rightful ruler, God, we said, no, 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 I want to be the ruler of my own life. We have gone in the complete opposite direction, and this causes for judgment. Judgment. That's why Jesus is saying, I am the judge. But this is not just a physical death that we deserve. This is a spiritual death. The eternal separation in hell is what we earn for our sins. The wages of sin is death. And as we can see in this passage, it says that we have passed from death into life. So nobody passes from life and just stays in life, right? All of us, if we are to be saved, we must pass from death into life. So that means that our default state is death, every single one of us. But whoever hears his word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So what is his word? John 14, six says that I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except me. The perfect judge, Jesus, must enact perfect justice, right? But now he has stepped in the place of those who hear his word and believe in him. That he, instead, instead of putting perfect justice on us that deserve it, he puts it on himself, and that's what the cross is. In the cross, he has enacted perfect judgment, and his death, burial, and resurrection show that he has power over death. He has power over the penalty of sin, and now we can have that as well. And if you, 
are saved, you are experiencing that, that new spiritual regeneration on this earth right now. But we're about to learn about how Jesus is not just talking about spiritual regeneration. He is talking about full physical regeneration. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. It's so easy to read this passage and not understand the implications of what he's saying. He is saying that the very graves are going to open up at the sound of his voice, that it's not just going to be spiritual regeneration, but actually physical regenerative bodies that will be fit for eternity with him and the Father forever. That's what we have if we are in Christ. Now, I wanna point to the end when it's in verse 29 when it says, and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I wanna say this, judgment is always based on works. Now, some of y'all are like, wait a second. Yes, judgment is always based on works. Praise God that the ones who have done good to the resurrection of life, it's not their good that they have done. It is Jesus's good, his perfect good that, that um, he has done in our place. So for those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those are those who have believed in Christ, that he is the perfect atonement, the perfect substitute and the Lord of their life. For those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment, those are the ones that have refused this gift. Do not believe. Remember, our default state is death. Those are the ones that have remained in death. And they will also have physical body, physical bodies that are fit for eternity. For their eternity will not be in heaven with the Father. It will be in perfect separation from God forever in hell. Church, I don't know where you are today, but I pray that you would hear Jesus' words and believe in him, believe in the one who sent him, God the Father, so that you may have eternal life because all of us are eternal. Now, I wanna go back to verse 27 because this is a very important phrase that comes up, the son of man. This is an extremely important title for Jesus. He actually claims it of himself over 80 times in the New Testament. So whenever somebody says that he's something 80 times, he probably believes it of himself, right? But it's also one of the most misunderstood titles because when you hear the word the son of man, my snap logic is to go, oh, he is claiming his physical earthly identity, the son of man, and then the son of God would be claiming his heavenly identity, right? But no, actually the son of man is harking back to the Old Testament prophecies, the Old Testament book of Daniel, which is exactly what the, these Jewish leaders would know exactly what he's talking about here. So he's using this to appeal to their culture. But in Daniel chapter seven, verses 13 and 14, Daniel the prophet has this vision from God. And he says this, behold, with the clouds of heavens, there came one like a son of 
man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Does this sound like a normal man? No, this sounds like the deity. This sounds like God given the authority. So when Jesus says, I am the son of man, and actually when he is standing in front of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council on the day that he is crucified, they ask him who he is. And he, what does he say? He says, I'm the son of man. And then they start beating him up and slapping him because they know exactly what he is saying. He is claiming divinity. So these are the claims that Jesus has made. But a crazy person, right, can claim whatever they want, right? A crazy person can say that the sky is green and the grass is blue, right? But all of us, all they have to do is look outside and the evidence is there that that isn't true. So Jesus is appealing to this Old Testament Mosaic law that you have to have at least three witnesses to testify on your behalf to make these claims legit. And so Jesus is appealing to these men's culture and goes, hey, I know what you need. Let me give it to you. And the next pas- this next passage is gonna be super sharp for these people. It's gonna hurt them. Like what he says is going to be painful to hear, but know that he is saying it, remember, so that they may be saved. It is all out of love. So read with me verse 30. The first witness that he brings to the stand, the one that the Jewish leaders already know a lot about, John the Baptist. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Now, we've already learned a lot about John the Baptist in the earlier part of the Gospel of John. John the Baptist was the voice in the wilderness making straight the way of the Lord. And people were really excited about this guy because everyone was thinking either that he was the Messiah, the one that would overthrow overthrow the Roman government, or that he was like making the way for the Messiah, the one that would overthrow the Roman government. See, they were very, they weren't thinking about eternity. They were thinking about their current problems in the here and now. So much so, so, there was so much excitement that even the Jewish leaders, they sent messengers going, who are you? But he said that he is not the Messiah. Instead, when he saw Jesus, he shouted out, John the Baptist shouted out, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Bold claim, right? The Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice that takes away their sins. John is not talking about the Roman government. He's talking about the real enemy, sin and death, that's residing in the hearts of all of us, right? That's his first claim just a burning and shining lamp, willing to rejoice a while in his light. John was only a dim reflection of the true Messiah, Jesus. But these testimonials continue in verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, 
bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. His second piece of evidence, his second testimonial, is his own actions. These guys most likely have the man that was paralyzed for 38 years and is now healed. He is probably in this crowd. Jesus is going, okay, John the Baptist speaks of me. Now, look at this guy, <laughs> right? 38 years he was paralyzed. Does a, can a normal person heal someone like that? No. He's going, man, my actions speak louder than words. So these testimonials begin to pile up more and more and more. But the, to the religious leaders, this upcoming testimony should be the most powerful of all. And Jesus says, and the father who has, excuse me, and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. This is a very bold claim because Jesus is saying that the very creator and sustainer of the universe bears witness about him. In Matthew 3.17, when Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist to begin his earthly ministry here on earth, it says that the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The Jewish leaders, they think they know all about God the Father. These men have devoted their entire lives to the Torah, which is our Old Testament. They have the Mosaic law memorized. They have all these books memorized. They are the most spiritually saturated people in the entire world. So to hear this, hear this claim would be absolutely infuriating. They go, we know the scriptures. We know this can't be true. But Jesus uses the very thing that they hold most dear and turns it against them in, their next, in his next testimony. Verse 38, he says, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. How could Jesus make so brash a claim of the people who were literally so religious that they would tie verses on their forehead to be as close as they could because there was a passage in Deuteronomy that says, write these words on your forehead. Like these guys were so literal about their text that they were going to follow it to a T, the most religious people, the, one that, the ones that everyone looked to, oh, those guys are definitely going to be to heaven. He says, you do not have his word abiding in you. You do not believe the one whom he has sent. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Church, these, these Jewish people, they were seeking so diligently in the scriptures to find God that they actually failed to recognize who the word of God was, the word that became flesh. Literally, God incarnate is standing right in front of them and they cannot even see it. They were serious students, but in the, earn, in the end, they were seeking to earn eternal life through their own efforts, and the scriptures were only a vehicle for that, nothing more. It wasn't to become close to God. It was to instead earn their salvation. They were still living in death. They had not passed into death, from death unto life. Mercy Hill, I have a question for you. Why are you here today? 
really glad that you're here, but why are you here today? Because eternal life doesn't come through church attendance. It doesn't come through Bible memory. It doesn't come through Bible studies or being a good person or staying away from drugs or sex or whatever. It comes through believing in the one that the Father has sent, Jesus Christ. You see, there's a difference between knowledge and faith. These Jewish leaders, they would have blown all of us out of the water. Like, are you a Bible study leader? That's great. Like, these guys had the entire Bible memorized, okay? Like, they got y'all beat. But their desire to understand the scriptures better was not to be closer to God. It was to make themselves better. And they were blind to Jesus. Not only are they blind, but it says that they refuse to believe. And in this upcoming uh, verses, Jesus shows them their true motive. Verse 41, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. God, that must have hurt so bad. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? In verse 41, Jesus is really making a distinction between his motive and the motive of these men. His motive is clear. I do not receive glory from people. Clearly through his past testimony, he is saying, my motive is to give God glory and I've done it perfectly. These men's motives are to give themselves glory, to boost each other up. They don't care about God, they care about themselves. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the other God, from, from the only God? What's shocking is when you really break this down, these are the people that you would feel like would have the most evidence to believe in God, but they are blind to it. So many of us, oh, sorry about that. So many of us have been around church that sometimes when we come in on Sunday mornings or open up our Bibles that we're not even thinking about communing with God anymore. We're just here because this is a rhythm of what we do or our friends are here. And maybe we've just forgotten the purpose of this place to worship, learn, and enjoy God. So, not much of a fighter, okay? But I do know that in order to throw the perfect knockout punch, you've got to first rattle your opponent and then take him on when he's least expecting it, okay? So, Jesus has thrown some serious body shots here, okay? He has claimed John the Baptist testimony, boom. Miracles, boom, the Father, boom, the scriptures, boom. But this right here, this is the absolute haymaker. They were not expecting this because the last testimonial that Jesus brings to the stand is Moses. Verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Yes, Moses, the man who led the Israelites out of Egypt, who parted the Red Sea, who received the Ten Commandments, he is the one that accuses them. Jesus is saying when he states that Moses accuses them is that his entire Mosaic law points to Jesus. That everything that they've been memorizing, that everything they've been following to a T ultimately points to him. 
the sacrifices, the priesthood, the punishment for sin, all of these things point to the perfect lamb that will be slaughtered, Jesus, the, the perfect priest, the perfect king, right? In the Old Testament, we saw that all of these would not suffice. Only Jesus will. He is saying that I, you have so much evidence. In church, the truth is here. Document after document, miracle after miracle, testimony after testimony. Church, are you ready to believe in who Jesus actually says he is or will we continue to live in a refusal of it? Now, to wrap up, I'm gonna, just gonna give us a really quick and easy test to see if we believe in God. Now, I know that sounds a little crazy, but I think this is helpful in a simple way, in a simple way to see if we actually do know God. Because if we believe in God, we will know, honor, and love Jesus. So do you know Jesus? Remember, Jesus' critics thought that they knew all about God. They poured over the scriptures. They followed the laws perfectly. But because they didn't recognize Jesus, they did not know God. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know how much he loves you? Do you know that he died for you and that through his death you could have life? Do you honor Jesus? Like I said before, God, the Father, and the Son, they're in so much unity that to dishonor God, excuse me, to dishonor Jesus would be to dishonor God. If you claim God, but do not honor Jesus as the risen Savior and King, then your claim is false. You do not honor God. And finally, do you love Jesus? So many people say that they love God, that they have a relationship with God, that they pray to God every day, right? But if we don't receive Jesus for who he is, the Son of God, then just like the Jews, you, will, you do not have the love of God within you. Now, for those of you all that may think, okay, what do I need to do to get in right relationship with God, to love Jesus? Know this, that Jesus loves you. That's what you must believe. Because if you are if you are a follower of Christ, the implications of your life are massive. You have passed from death to life. Your present and future are forever stored in his. The penalty of sin and death no longer holds to you anymore. And because at the end of the day, all of us, in one way or another, whether we grew up or are religious or not, all of us are like these religious leaders, following and chasing after something but are blind to the truth, if it not be through Jesus Christ. Thank God that he sent the son of man down, leaving his throne in heaven to become human and to show his claims to us. <clears throat> Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this massive and powerful passage that brings light to who you are. God, I pray that we would never once believe that lie that Jesus never claimed divinity for himself, that we would never forget or be confused about who Jesus says that he is. It's all right here. God, I pray that through the twists and turns of this passage, if there is confusion, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would bring light of that, that the church and the leaders and the staff would come around, would come around this person to help them understand this passage on a deeper level. And that we would see that the scriptures, every single verse, every single page are bearing testimony to who Jesus is. God, the son of man who has dominion 
and authority and, a pow- and power over everything. And Lord, I pray for those that are working for their salvation, those who might even be saved and have forgotten about the goodness of God and are trying to work again for their salvation. Their salvation is already stored away in heaven. Praise be to Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would respond and worship to what we have heard today. Amen.